This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Money Talks. I am Guy Drinkle doing the uh, ultimate layman job in this one. But I am, of course, joined by Mo. How are you doing, Mo? Welcome to your own show. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, very, very good. Um been a lovely day here in my part of the world in England. And, uh, yeah, just a shame I've been stuck indoors all day in between working and whatnot. But uh, there we go. That That's, that's life uh, living in the UK. And we've dragged you home to talk about FFP. What have we done? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a way to end the day. (laughs) Absolutely. Who who doesn't love anything more than FFP? But that is why we're here, listener. We are to talk about the changes. But uh, as Mo has gracefully listed out some questions for me, let's get into this, shall we? Uh, So, we obviously the news broke yesterday, Mo, about financial fair play being changed and replaced with the new rules in 2023. Do you want to explain what the uh, what the changes are? Yeah, sure. So, um, FFP, Financial Fair Play, is something that we've covered in an immense amount of detail here on Money Talks. And the long short of the existing rules are that um, clubs should look to essentially work to a sustainable financial model where Losses are minimised to um, over a three-year, what they call reporting period, 30 million euros. So effectively 10 million a year. Um, now, this is, is a model that, in theory, when it launched a good eight or nine years ago, was something that felt like a welcome addition to uh, not only the Premier League, but the top leagues. We saw some pretty bad cases of um, clubs being taken over by irresponsible people and uh, running the clubs. Almost in Portsmouth, for example, um, they, they suffered from a catalogue of 
poor owners coming in one after another mm-hmm. and really making a complete mess of, of clubs like that. Um, but the, the rules were also intended to achieve some level of uh, parity, even at the upper echelons of uh, European football too. So what we saw was um, rules brought in to ensure that uh, clubs like Manchester City and Chelsea um, that, you know, prior to the rules coming in, were regularly racking up losses of 60, 80, 100, 100 million plus per year would be curtailed because clearly that was giving those types of clubs an unfair advantage over a Liverpool, an Arsenal, a Tottenham Hotspur, even a Manchester United that did try to live within their means. So these rules, as we know, ultimately have, have not been as successful as perhaps the owners and the clubs uh, of the non-nation states that own and operate football clubs would have liked. And we've seen that through the abject failure of these rules in being able to stop a club like Manchester City or a PSG from essentially uh, using whatever means necessary to bring in the best players and by bringing the best players, winning trophies, winning silverware, achieving success that would simply not be possible by running a sustainable model free of um, what I call and others call financial doping. So the rules as we have known them are about to be phased out. Uh, and this is something that um, Tarek Pandra of the New York Times broke as a story um, about 24 hours ago as we record this. And the rules as they are proposed, which would come into effect, as you noted, from 2023, uh, would include amongst them um, a key change being that clubs should no longer spend um, in excess of 70% of their revenue on wages and also uh, transfer fees or amortization as well as agent fees the reason i said transfer fees or amortization is because based on the reports is perhaps a little bit of lack of clarity about whether it's one or the other and the reason i say one or the other is because transfer fee um, spend is not the same thing as amortization so just very, very quickly, well, explain for listeners who aren't aware of the difference. When, for example, a club signs a player for £30 million on a five-year contract, in accounting terms, that has to be uh, written, uh, written down over a five-year period, the duration of the contract. So in year one, um, that, that is... Um, captured as £30 million pounds. Uh, in, in year two, um, that is captured as £24 million. Pounds. Uh, and that asset is then depreciated over the um, term of the contract. So, so that is what amortisation is. It's reducing the value in equal amounts over the duration of the contract. However, that £30 million pound in reality may have involved in the first initial payment perhaps five million pounds being put down in the second payment uh 10 million pounds being put down 
and in the third payment, fifteen million pounds. So over the over a three-year uh, period, the full transfer fee is paid, but in accounting terms, amortisation shows it as um, six million pounds a year um, during the duration of the five-year contract. But in real terms, in cash terms, um, it is paid over three years. So we just need to find out if there is leaning towards the actual cash movement or the accounting treatment. Um, but the wage bill is the wage bill, and, and that's a pretty straightforward one to understand, as is agents' fees. So Liverpool, over the last four or five years, have spent very, very high amounts of money on agents. And um, you know, this, again, is something that I've covered as a topic here on Money Talks. It is something that I think the club can potentially rein back on. And certainly with this rule change, if and when it comes in, there will certainly need to be um, more of a focus on ensuring that that spend is reined in. And, and the reason I say that is because, um, for example, Liverpool Football Club in the 2019-20 reporting period for the Football Association when it comes to spend on agents, which runs from the 1st of February 2019 through to the 31st of January 2020, spent £30 million. Now, you think, OK, well, that, that's quite a lot of money, but surely we had lots of things going on. Well, no, we didn't. We spent hardly any money in the summer transfer window. Um, so if you think back to summer 2019, the marquee signing for that summer was Seth Vandenberg. Um, we, yes, we brought in Harvey Elliott. Yes, we brought in Adrian. Uh, but at that time, they didn't come in for any fees. The Elliott fee um, was only agreed a couple of years later. Uh, with Fulham uh, through an arbitration, um, Adrian came in on a free. He was um, just practicing with a second tier team in Spain from memory uh, before we brought him in um, once uh, Simon Mignolet moved on from Liverpool. Um, and then in the January 2020 transfer window, um, we, we spent uh, a whopping £7 million on Takumi Minamino. And during that same period, the contracts that we uh, renewed were very few and far between Divock Origi was one Joel Matip was another so when you look at the actual um, transactions that took place during that 12-month period that would have involved agents uh, there was actually very little that went on yet despite that we spent 30 million pounds on agents um, for just those deals there were a raft of um, academy players who were signed or um, whose contracts were extended. Um, but though those fees normally would be very, very paltry, relatively speaking, compared to the deals for first-team players. So what that indicated is that Liverpool um, do spend excessively on agents, and that is something that the club will um, need to rein back in on. Uh, but that, that is one of the key developments where this is concerned, that the focus is now on this 70% rule based on wages, based on potentially transfer fees and agents. So if Liverpool Football Club were to generate um, £600 million when this rule comes in, then that means that they would be essentially capped at um, what, uh, sorry, £420 million um, to spend on uh, wages, on agents' fees, and on and transfer fee instalments. So even if you might hear um, that the club has signed X player for uh, £50 million, it doesn't mean that the club is literally 
gone and spent fifty million pounds in one fell swoop um, and paid that towards the selling club. In typical circumstances, that is spread out over three instalments. Um, so, so, so that is what the club will have to operate to, and that um, is potentially a challenge because Liverpool Football Club's wage bill prior to COVID coming along was floating at around the 58% mark. Now, if you then add on top of that um, spend on agents as well as um, spend on transfer fees, then the club does exceed that 70% mark. So um, what it will in real terms do is put a focus on the club having to um, rein in its spend on wages and also um, agents fees, as I discussed, as well as um, limiting potentially the amount that can be spent in the transfer windows. Um, so, so, so that will be uh, somewhat of a challenge where Liverpool is concerned um, based on how they've operated over the last couple of years. Um, now, in, in terms of other rule changes, um, there is talk that um, if clubs fall foul of these rules, depending on how uh, to, or to what extent they transgress these rules, there is potential demotion from the Champions League. Um, so that that is um, something that obviously has been in place even under the current rules. And we have seen um, the odd few club um, prohibited from participating in the Champions League. UEFA tried twice to do that where Man City was concerned, um, but on both occasions um, they were unsuccessful for different reasons. So again, um, I wouldn't put too much weight on on that as a rule change. And one of the uh, other kind of key things to note where rule changes are concerned about moving to this new form of model is that the Clubs that participate, um, you know, in, in um, European competitions um, would have their accounts scrutinised in real time. So what that means is that unlike the current model, which looks at the last set of published accounts. So in the case of Liverpool, um, their published accounts relate to the 2021 season, which ended, what, nine months ago, 10 months ago now. Um, instead, UEFA would have access to all clubs' uh, financial records in real time and we'll be able to see in real time what their spend is on transfer fees, on wages, on agents, and they can then make those decisions based on the present season rather than on the previous season. So again, um, that I think is a good move and that is something that I applaud, uh, but it is something that, um, you know, again, will potentially be subject to um, creative accounting, if you want to call it that, where certain clubs are concerned. And, and the last point I wanted to make with all of this is that, again, UEFA potentially, as part of introducing these changes to FFP, um, are talking about assessing fair market value for sponsorships. Now, this is something I think that they will really struggle with. Now, you know, we've talked a lot about um, Manchester City's sponsorship deals. And it is something that I will be talking about in my next Money Talks, which I'll come on to later on. Uh, and these sponsorship deals, um, there's been a lot of um, scrutiny about these. Um, you know, there have been leaks um, that have been published by 
um, Der Spiegel in Germany and other new sources. And yet, despite the leaks, despite the evidence coming um, to the attention of the public, nothing has really happened. And it shows that UEFA, for whatever reason, uh, doesn't have a great track record when it comes to head-on tackling the most egregious um, breaches of these types of rules. And especially when it comes to sponsorship deals, where, for example, um, a sponsorship deal might be worth £70 million to a club, but the actual sponsor is only putting in five or £10 million with the rest made up by um, in cash injections from the owner, who happens to also be um, closely linked to or in some way affiliated with that sponsor. So there are things like that, which I think are in all real terms not going to change one iota under these new rules. So, so that, I think, again, is something that um, is, is disappointing. But um, we, we'll see if uh, UEFA does try and take a harder stance with um, clubs. Now, the only other thing to note with all of this is that one of the main architects behind these rule changes happens to be um, the chairman of Paris Saint-Germain, Nasser mm-hmm. Al-Khalifi. Mm-hmm. Now, that is... Is, is just quite balmy that um, the club that is perhaps most responsible for allegedly financial dope, uh, financially doping um, in European football, that their uh, key um, member of staff when it comes to the operations of that club has had such a huge role in designing a new set of rules, which just so coincidentally benefit his club more than any other club in Europe. But... Um, you know, that, that might just be a complete and utter coincidence. Happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, more, I'm, I'm sure people up to this stage basically want to look at it from a Liverpool selfish point of view, but <laughs> I can imagine what your answer is going to be. But is this good or bad for Liverpool? Well, um, it's certainly not good. <laughs> I think that... Uh, it is something that is disappointing where Liverpool Football Club is concerned. As we all know, Liverpool Football Club does try to run a sustainable model. And, um, you know, it's about the owners not putting their own money into the club. It's about the club generating its own funds in order to finance its affairs. You know, whether it's to do with paying the wage bill, whether it's to do with um, bringing in uh, new signings, even to do with infrastructure. So, yes. FSG, a number of years ago, um, sourced a loan for the expansion of the main stand, but it was not their own money. They, they brought in a loan. They then loaned that loan from them um, to Liverpool Football Club um, at no interest, uh, but it wasn't their money. So that is something that they are very firm and strict and stringent on in terms of their uh, business principles, and that is something that, even a pandemic would not veer them away from. So that is something that we all know. This rule change essentially, or these sets of rule changes, will make it easier for clubs that are owned by um, nation states, essentially. And um, it is overall a concerning development, one that not only will concern Liverpool, but also other clubs that do try and operate in a sustainable way financially. Your Arsenal's, 
Um, and, and don't laugh, but you know, Real Madrid, PSG, uh, not PSG, Barcelona, uh, Juventus. Now these clubs, I mean, when it comes to financial management, are right. are pretty poor. <laughs> you know, they're 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 not very good at managing their finances. And you know, Barcelona, we we saw the clearest example of that by the fact that they lost Lionel Messi because they were in a complete and utter financial mess of their own doing. However, um, these are clubs that all try to generate money and um, spend it based sp- make spending decisions based on the money that they generate. They don't have rich benefactors that almost have a blank checkbook um, and a limitless, bottomless pot of cash into which they can dip into year on year to finance the affairs of, of these clubs. Whereas some of our rivals uh, domestically and abroad um, it, it is a different situation for them. So this news is something that um, is, is not a surprise. Uh, when we saw the defeat of UEFA in the Court of Arbitration for Sport back in uh, 2020, and uh, we heard some initial rumours about the FFP rules being replaced um, last year, we knew that this was coming. And um, I believe that there is a vote scheduled for two months' time in May um, amongst UEFA to uh, potentially replace the existing rules with these new set of rules. And I think it is a formality that these rule changes will be implemented um, from 23-24 onwards. So that ultimately is a disadvantage to Liverpool. There's simply no other way of looking at it. Great. (laughs) Uh, Get the success whilst you can, Liverpool. Um, Yeah, you've kind of already mentioned the ones that will profit from this. Uh, Is Man City, PSG and now Newcastle. I mean, how... How steep is is the change? How how harsh is it going to be in terms of helping them? I've worded that poorly, but how much of a help is this going to be for them? Very big. Um, What they all know as clubs is that they they put the fear factor into uh, the corridors of UEFA. Um, Yes, UEFA have tried to deal with um, certainly Man City, but, you know, PSG... Their alleged financial doping is on an even bigger scale than that of Manchester City. And the reason for that is that their TV money um, at PSG is substantially less than it is for Manchester City. So their sponsorship deals um, are even more um, significant factor in their overall revenues than they are for Manchester City. Now... It is no coincidence whatsoever that over the last couple of months, we've seen Manchester City announce sponsorship deals with three, four different companies that just so happen to be based in the same region as their owners. Um, You know, they know, they knew what was coming. They knew that FFP in its current guise was coming to an end. And they knew that they had to um, gear up for Um, the very large and imposing threat posed by Newcastle United's uh, ownership group, which includes um, the uh, investment fund from uh, Saudi Arabia. Because as rich as the Abu Dhabi Dhabi owners are, they are extremely rich. Their wealth pales into comparison against that of the investment fund of Saudi Arabia. 
and for all intents and purposes, it, it is you know the ruling elite mm-hmm. of Saudi Arabia that that um, are in charge and are pulling the strings when Newcastle United are now concerned. So it, it is a massive boon to those types of clubs, and I think what you will see over the next few months is further sponsorship deals announced um, by Manchester City, by PSG, by Newcastle United, or by companies that, again, have coincidentally very close ties to or links with um, the nations from which their owners emanate. So this this is concerning um, to, to the extreme, um, but unfortunately UEFA does have uh, a case where one of the three clubs that I've just listed has been infiltrated at the very highest level um, by Al Khalifi, and um, you know it, it's very very clear and abundant that he has influenced these rule changes for the benefit of his club, um, and then alongside that, um, certainly where he will be concerned, unfortunately, Manchester City and potentially Newcastle United will benefit as well. Yeah, so if you're from Boston and you like John Henry, give us some money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. But uh, obviously these rules are from UEFA more, and and we know the Premier League could bring in their own FFP, well, FFP's dead, but their own set of rules. How how would that Mm. work side by side, or would it work side by side? What's your thoughts if the Premier League stricts up their rules? Okay, so for all intents and purposes, um, the Premier League um, essentially work to the same rules as the uh, UEFA financial fair play rules. However, it doesn't mean that they have to stick and abide by them alone. So what we see, for example, is other leagues operate their own set of rules that sit alongside UEFA's financial fair play rules at this moment in time. And then whatever the rules are known as, um, once they change, um, there's no reason why the Premier League can't introduce rules um, that bolster and strengthen um, the focus on financial sustainability rather than simply going along with those rules as they are. So just two quick examples. Uh, We have uh, the EFL, English Football League, have a very stringent set of rules around uh, financial fair play. And they sit over and above the rules in place operated um, by UEFA. And then on top of that, um, there are also um, some rules around uh, wage caps, which are operated by La Liga. And it's those rules that um, led to the case that I mentioned earlier on, which involved Lionel Messi having to be let go essentially by Barcelona because um, even if they uh, retain him for a nominal amount um, in terms of wages, um, they would have um, exceeded their wage cap. And um, that is what led to him ultimately ending up at PSG. So there's nothing to stop uh, the Premier League from introducing their own rules. And I certainly think that um, that is something that that Premier League um, uh, board and the chief executive, Richard Masters, should now seriously consider. 
Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, we, we've kind of been screaming out for it, but it's uh, it's been a figment of ad imagination for a while but now. But obviously, as you said earlier, this doesn't really benefit Liverpool and many other European elite clubs. What can Liverpool and other teams do to fight this or want changes to this? What what can these clubs do? Okay, I mean, so there are several things, not that any of them will be successful necessarily. So the first is to um, group together and lobby UEFA um, in advance of this vote in May and to argue that, look, you know, as uh, faulty as the rules currently are, um, they are still certainly better than the rules um, that are being proposed to be brought in to replace them. Uh, because these rules that will replace them will clearly benefit um, clubs who are alleged to financially dope and inflate their sponsorship deals. Uh, so that is one option. Uh, and it's certainly something that I wouldn't be surprised is already happening. Um, but, you know, the the leading clubs, you know, your Real Madrid, your Liverpool's, your Manchester United, United's of this world, they have already done some of that over the last six, seven, eight, nine years. Um, out of concern for um, the threat posed by your PSGs in Manchester City and the way that they operate. And yet, uh, clearly, their efforts have um, not paid dividends. Um, these clubs have been able to pretty much uh, you know, run away with their domestic leagues and um, you know, spend uh, almost with impunity. So um, this is something that I, I think that um, would need some upping of the ante, uh, but I'm not sure if all of these other clubs um, collectively um, are organised enough to, to manage in, in exactly in terms of how that would manifest itself. Again, I'm not sure how that could work but uh, clearly lobbying uefa is is one option um uh, another option might be a bit more extreme uh, and that might be to um make threats to domestic leagues and uefa to say look if um you know th these rules are clearly going to benefit certain clubs and if those are the rules that are being brought in that these other clubs will refuse to participate um, so mm. ultimately giving an ultimatum to UEFA to say, and even the Premier League, you know, um, if Liverpool, Manchester United and others said, look, um, if, if you support or um, implement these rules, then we will refuse to participate in these competitions. Uh, and if that happens, for all intents and purposes, the competitions cannot operate. And, you know, th that is a big threat that exists and it could conceivably happen chance of it happening i think are, are remote just simply because your liverpools your manchester united and the like would financially suffer significantly um if competitions simply couldn't go ahead because they refused to participate um so that is an option but i think it's highly unlikely and um perhaps a, a, another option with all of this is the fact that um, they could look to explore legal um, options where uh, legislation might exist, uh, which, which again could possibly prohibit um, these types of rule changes. Um, they could even go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport if they pull together 
to argue that um, the changes are being influenced by a party, namely PSG, and that have a vested interest in the changes mm-hmm. going ahead. Um, and whether that would be successful or not, who knows. But um, I'd be surprised if some of these other clubs just simply take this line. Now, we may not hear much about it in the media, um, but I think behind the scenes, um, you know, the more established clubs um, who do try and operate in a more sustainable way will be absolutely livid and, and will certainly be trying whatever they can um, to at least block um, these rules from coming in. Doesn't sound fun. Does not sound fun that much. No, <laughs> so it's going to be no. uh, a weird time for football. When when, oh. when are these rules getting decided? What was the date for the meeting, did you say? Um, so it's likely to be May. Um, okay. So there's a couple of months between. Well, depends which part of May, but I mean, as as little mm-hmm. as about five weeks through till a couple of months before um, these rules are rule rule changes are voted on. Beautiful stuff. So football's going to be ruined in May. <laughs> um, but you'll obviously be going more detailed in your next show. Do you want to explain to the listeners what who who you've got on and what you'll be discussing? Sure. Yeah, so um, I'll be delving into this um, in a lot more detail with Nick Harris of uh, the Daily Mail, Mail on Sunday. Uh, Nick is somebody that has covered um, FFP since pretty much the start of the rules coming into effect. Um, and even before then, in terms of when they were conceived and, and their planned implementation, inception, etc. Um, so, so Nick knows about uh, this subject very very well as well as anyone out there so really um, glad to have him back on money talks and and we'll certainly be making a deep deep dive into uh, what all of this means and i'm really looking forward to um discussing that as well as a couple of other subjects as well um you know we obviously are seeing um rapid developments almost on a daily basis where the ownership of chelsea football club is concerned mm-hmm. Um, so really quite keen to discuss that with him. And just this past week, uh, we've seen um, Deloitte's Football Money League published, uh, which ranked Manchester City um, at the top of uh, European football when, when it comes to revenue. So for the 2021 season, uh, which was the last completed season, Manchester City's revenues um, exceeded every other club in Europe, uh, which is something that nobody could have imagined maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago. But um, here, here we are. So again, um, I'll be mulling that one over and um, having some interesting uh, discussion about um, exactly how Manchester City have managed um, such a feat. Um, so yeah, it should, should be an entertaining uh, and informative discussion with um, the wonderful Nick Harris. Hey, Nick can talk back. I just co- I just pop in every few minutes to make stupid jokes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, that's why that's my role in AI, people. Uh, but that is it. So, well, thank thank you more for me hosting you. <laughs> is that how this works? That's what we'll go with. But thank you for inviting yeah. me on your show to ask you questions that you wrote. Um, but that's <laughs> it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. More is planned to be back on Sunday, as we say, which is Mother's Day. I don't know why I brought Mother's Day, but uh, that's it. So more will be back probably Sunday or Monday when the pod's released for a more in-depth discussion. But thank you, everyone. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
but there's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.